Thank you so much, as I mentioned a moment ago, for being here today, taking the time out of your day and making plans to be here. It doesn't happen by accident. You know, we try to talk about things or do things that would encourage people to come to worship the Lord. And I guess I've decided that the main thing that makes people come to worship in a, in one sense is that they made a predecision to do that. If, if you just wait to wake up on a Sunday or a Wednesday and say, well, I think I'll go to church today. The weather's perfect. I got nothing else going on. Blah, blah, blah. I think I'll go to church today. You're probably missing some of the point anyway. But when you make a predecision that it's the Lord's day and I'm going to go worship the Lord today, you make that decision far ahead of time, then everything becomes easier. And I think that you end up getting more getting more from that when you do to go to worship the Lord. We do appreciate you as a guest today and um, hope that we can say and do things that will be beneficial to you. I'm on. I'm trying to find my uh, my PowerPoint this morning. Not right in front of me. I want to mention something before we start, though, that I... I put in the prayer list uh, my wife Judy's younger brother Steve has been battling cancer for about five years and they think that he was the week that he was supposed to go get his final five-year clearance you know he began having some other problems goes to the doctor he's got cancer again only it's not the same kind of cancer which is very good news it's a new kind of cancer, which is treatable, apparently. Uh, but he just has to undergo a long regimen of chemotherapy and radiation. And um, so we started a GoFundMe page for him and his wife, Paulette, to help them raise the money they need for the co-pays. He figures it's going to be about $5,000 between the co-pays for the radiation, the chemotherapy, the surgery he has to have to insert a feeding tube, special food he has to have to eat and all that stuff, plus some travel expenses. So uh, some of you have already contributed to that. I posted if you'd like to contribute to that um, and haven't done so, we would appreciate that for him. Hopefully he can uh, he can be cured of this cancer. Someone one time said, nothing makes a fish bigger than almost being caught. So it's those fish that you don't catch that are the biggest ones. That's typical. My brothers and I did a lot of fishing the time we were very young, up until not too many years ago. Not not as much as Doug Cross and some others, but of course we we did a lot of fishing and that varied different things going on in our life and so forth. And when we went to Israel a couple of years ago, we went out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Fred, uh, Fred and Ann and Karen and me and Judy were among the group that went on the boat. It was really, it, re- it was kind of cool that morning. It was really a great experience. They started off out in the, out going out in the lake and, and the crew was obviously Arabic, I think, for the most part. And, uh, they, they were, had been playing some kind of music, but then they switched it over to the Star Spangled Banner. And the man came out waving, holding an American flag, ran up around the deck with it, and then we all sang the Sparse Bangled Banner, I think, and, and we sang some other songs all out on the lake. 
And we saw some people fishing there in small boats. And then you go to a museum there, right on the other side of the shore, you go on, the, I think it'd be the north side, north shore. They have a museum there. And in the museum, and I don't have a, I forgot to put the picture in here. They have a fishing boat from the time of Jesus. They recovered not far from that spot in, in the water, been submerged for centuries, centuries from the time of Jesus. And they have the skeleton of that boat and some of the timbers, and they have it displayed there. They've done some study of that, and they talked about how many different kinds of wood were on the boat, how, how many different kind of fasteners they had, and all this whole museum a part of it. And it was pretty fascinating. And it, it was a little larger than I thought. It isn't a small, small boat, probably 20 feet long or so. But apparently it's the kind of boat that they would use on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus was alive around that time, and, and it would hold a crew of three or four people, two or three people that would fish there. And they fished with seine nets, not so much cast nets that you see, although they might do some bait, but they're fishing with seines, which they drag along beside the boat to pull up all different kinds of fish. And you have different parables Jesus told about this kind of fishing, that in the net were all these different kinds of fish, and they were sorted out. And this was very typical of what he'd seen. And And early in Jesus' ministry, he's walking along this shoreline, and he meets these fellows in a boat. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're, they're partners, and some of these are. And, 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 and I won't read those things this morning for sake of time, but, but Peter, as for one of these, you know, these people, when he talks to Jesus, it says he, he had been sitting on the shore mending his nets. And you can still see this today because they'd been torn by being used. And he left his nets there and followed Jesus. <coughs> We're going to see Peter a little bit later in this verse we're going to read. I'll say this at the beginning because I might forget. I had become a big defender of the Apostle Peter in my during my lifetime. I've heard so many sermons and people disparage Peter, say bad things about them, even, even his denial. And it, I don't understand it. The Apostle Peter is one of the great men in the Bible, one of the great servants of Jesus Christ, the one that Jesus said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And we disparage him as if we would have done better. We would never make outrageous statements of faith and then be willing to back that up by taking out a sword and cutting off a man's ear. Here on this boat, he's going to say, Lord, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. And we we'd say, yeah, you are sinful, Peter. Most of us wouldn't even have been on the boat. Because we never would have left our fishing nets and followed Jesus. So before you criticize men like Peter or look down on them, you need to take a good step back and take a look at, at reality and what you would have done and what he really was. This man made outlandish statements. You can say, well, he spoke before he thought. Well, the other disciples were thinking the same thing, and the Bible says they, they were just afraid to say it. They didn't, none of them knew how to think through this. None of them knew how to think through Jesus Christ. They just didn't know. They had never encountered someone like him. It was a different experience than they've ever had. And they, they followed him without, with it, nothing but the fact that you have the words of life. I believe you do, Peter said. He says so many things like that in the Bible that we, but we still want to put him as being less and be cautious about that. This man is not less. And uh, he, he, his life reflects a very, very human 
type of a struggle between his own personality and what he was doing, and yet he chose the right thing to do. Now, Jesus began to teach and preach around the Sea of Galilee early in his ministry. And in the book of Luke in chapter 5, it says, So it was, as the multitude pressed him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the Sea of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. So here's these boats anchored real close to shore, and the fishermen are on shore cleaning their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. Now you can see this thing when you're there, that by the backdrop of this shoreline, it wasn't very deep in many places as far as beach, and then there was hillsides there. The sea goes down to this. Not like the ocean here where there's not much background. So he would have a natural place if he's sitting up there in the ocean to speak back with these people and there would be a way for the sound to be heard in that place. And so he's speaking to the multitudes. They're standing on the beach. He's in a boat. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, in some ways, this is a lot like fishermen, too. They've fished all night, caught nothing. Some stranger comes along and says, throw it over there, and they throw it over there, even though they've been there all night because they want to catch a fish. So Peter, But Peter says, we've already done what you're asking. We've been out fishing all night long. We know the fish. We know the lake. We, we know how the fish move in the lake. But he says, and I love this expression, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Something completely, totally unexpected. And they signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the nets so that they began to sink. They couldn't even get the boats to shore easily because they had so many fish. Now, this is the kind of thing that they might catch enough fish in this case to support them whole year. This is the kind of bonanza. This is the kind of thing that happens that changes someone's fortunes completely. And when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I, I love that scripture more and more time goes by this man's faith at seeing christ and and the common reaction that you see throughout the bible when when people realize they're in the presence of deity they fall down and often appear as dead when they actually think they've come in contact with deity and this is a sem very similar to what isaiah said that he was unclean when he saw the train of the trail of god of god's train of his, his robe he fell down and and he thought he was a man of unclean lips. Depart from me. And Jesus doesn't send him away. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. I wonder how many times Jesus says, and I, I know there's been a count, do not be afraid or fear not. 
He says over and over because some of the reactions of Jesus personally when he was dealing with people was fear. They were struck by him. And yet he's the meekest man on earth. Now, Gary's talked about this and I have in the past too, but meekness is not about being timid or backward or shy or letting other people do whatever they want. That's not meekness. That's maybe cowardice or weakness. A meek man, and the Greeks would kind of give it this definition too, is a powerful, dangerous man who is under control. That's the kind of men the world needs. Dangerous men, but under control. I can tell you, I'll speak for the ladies since I'm so in touch with my feminine side, that's the kind of man women want. They want a man who's strong and powerful, but under control because he can protect them. He can help them. He can do what needs to be done. And that's the kind of man Jesus was. People saw this when he, when he acted. They knew not only by the miracles he did, but by his other demeanor that he was a powerful man. And yet he was always under control. Like a lion that's been un, is under control. You, you have to fear it, but you also know that it has power. And so he tells them in this situation, you're going to catch men. You're going to become other verse, other, uh, parallel passages say, I'll make you a fisher of men if you follow me. So you're not going to catch fish anymore. That's not the idea. You're going to catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. That's also, pardon me, an astounding statement that they would leave their way of living and follow Christ and just give it all up and walk away. Oh yes, we were so much better than the apostles. They were ignorant. They were this. They were that. They made mistakes. They, we read places where they didn't believe and we think they should have believed. But what have you done like this? Guarantee you most 99.9% of you have done nothing even close to this much to show this much faith in Christ. So be careful. Look at their example and be careful. Now I'm going to make five quick points from this story. Nothing deep or uh, anything here about the story. And some, most of these points, some of them I got from another fellow named Ken, Ken Welliver, who has talked about this passage recently. And I, I thought it was very valuable and good. But five points that you should think about in considering this fishing trip and the encounter with the Lord. First of all, the thing that we might need today is that the word can be taught anywhere. I don't know how it is. I can't speak for, I've been preaching at this church for close to 30 years. So maybe I can't speak about how things are all around the country, but I know in a lot of places, people have the idea that the only way the word is taught is when the preachers in the pulpit preaching some sermon, but the word of, God can be taught anywhere, even from a boat. Okay, A boat can become a pulpit, as it were. Now, Jesus was actually sitting in the boat speaking, and, and they were listening to him, not because he was in some grand cathedral. See, today we have the idea, all we, oh, a century we've had this idea, that unless the surroundings are just great and magnificent, then the, what's being taught isn't important. I had a, I've had people tell me that. I remember one fellow specifically he come visited and he looked around and I don't know if it's this place, building or another building. He said, I just can't worship God in a place like this. 
because there's no artwork. There's no statues. There's no, no nothing gold. There's nothing here that helps me to worship. So we can't worship God in a place like this. And that's the point I make sometimes when I introduce the service and say that, you know, what happens here requires something of you. It requires you and your heart to be put, put something into worshiping God because you're not just going to be carried along by uh, how beautiful our chorus is or how loud and striking our band is. We had visitors one time, I probably told you this before, but they came here and, and they had come from another church a week or two before visiting. And they said, well, the other church, he said, we really liked it here. He said, the other church we went to said, when we first walked in the door, they handed us something. They handed us a pair of earplugs. For our, you're going to need these for your ears. I said, so they didn't hand you a Bible or anything like that. No, they handed us earplugs. So he said, we kind of knew this might not be the place for us. Now, you think I'm making that up, but I absolutely am not making that up. That's how it is. And so, but the word and worship can occur anywhere. And we need to take advantage of that. We need to be willing to speak the word of God, even if it's in tiny little snippets, even if it isn't quoting and pointing our fingers at somebody or a long exposition, wherever we are as Christians. It's difficult in today's society when, when it's scornful, looked upon as with scorn to talk about the Bible. I find this, though, is often more true than you think. Most people's spirituality is just below the surface, like an iceberg. There's only the smallest little tip, if anything at all, showing above the surface. But whatever faith or uh, trust in God they have is below the surface. It's necessary. We live, in a, we live in a general society that's hostile to fundamental Christianity, to believing that God created the world and he made men and women the way they are and he, he, he created, he performed the miracles in the Bible that Jesus rose. We live in a world that's hostile to that and that's taught from the top down in our society. All the messages people are receiving and yet people haven't all fought, bought into that. They just hide it. And so if you will just say something, one little thing, to a clerk or someone you meet that indicates that you have faith and you say something like, well, if the Lord, if the Lord, Lord willing, I'll be able to be there or whatever it may be, some little thing. You speak the word. You will find immediately that their whole demeanor changes with you. This happens often to me. Their whole demeanor changes and now they reveal to you their spirituality. Have I told you the story about when well, this happened? I keep waiting to see this person. I haven't seen him yet. Maybe God will please me one day and show him, bring them here. But I was getting some blood drawn. I do every three months diabetes. Go get your blood drawn at Quest, whatever it is, and you and then they send off the results. So I'm sitting there like I usually do, different people all the time. And a lady comes in. Uh, she said, "Where do you want me to take it out of your hand? Uh, which arm do you want me to take it out of?" I said, "No arms. I want you." Look at these big, veiny hands, ugly hands of mine. You can get it out of here because this is all scarred up on my arm and it causes nothing but problems. She looked at him. She says, I don't want to do that. Let me go get, let me talk to somebody. So she comes out. Another, another girl comes back in. I said, she says, you want to do me, do your hands? She said, yes, it's less painful. It's not a problem to you because it's going to be easier for you than digging around in my arm trying to find blood. So she said, okay. So she touches this. Somehow, in all this, 
I mentioned something about God or being a preacher or something, and this girl lit up. She'd just been talking. She was just doing her job. And we got to talking. Oh, yes, my mother and I are looking for a place to go. She just moved up here. I need to find her. I said, that's so nice. Where are you? So I gave her a call, one of my cars, and we talked for a while and all that. Now, I want her to show up. I want her to... I want her to show up one day in heaven and be able to tell people that I'm here because this fellow wouldn't let him take blood out of his arm and they came and got me. And so I want, I want her to see her again and I want to be able to continue our conversation so that she can hear the full true gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved by chance. See, this is that chance encounter wasn't supposed to be her turned out to be her and yet she got a little bit of the truth that day and could get more if she chooses i just want that to happen so bad but it, it never will but the truth is that's what being a neighbor is doing good to your neighbor it's whoever is near you you preach the word you you act and you speak in such a way that brings what's below the surface to the surface more they trust you. Now, you can't do this by being belligerent and judgmental, and that's in the bad sense of that word, and condemning them before you ever start with them. You have to look them in the eye and respect them as a human being and, and understand who they are. And then you'll see what's there. And so many people, it's right below the surface if we give them a chance. What looks to us like an indifferent society, maybe by numbers it might be, but we don't need everybody. If, if we got one-tenth of one percent of the people in Port St. Lucie that need to hear the gospel in this building, we wouldn't be able to hold them all. How many do we need? Well, we need those who will hear. Okay, And so you put the word out there, wherever you are, fishing boat or the pulpit here or somewhere else. Uh, for example, now I, I, we've almost used them up. I'm going to make some more of these because I just realized this week they're, I had these cars back here for years that I made. It's it just a simple New Testament, first century Christian, and it's got a website. It's got our time services on there. And it's got on the back a map how to get here, a couple of scriptures, the address, and the radio show, and all this on this card. On the front it says, this is your personal invitation from, and you write, you write your name there. See, I pass out my cards all the time. Go through them all the time, wherever I go. And you can pass out these cards. You can meet someone like that. So, well, let me. Now, here's here's the thing. Here's what this might require of you. You have to you have to brace yourself for this. Now, what I'm about to tell you, it might require you to say something like, "Man, you should hear our preacher. He's great." <laughs> now, now, if you could, if you, you may not be able to do that conscientiously, but you could say something about something here that would encourage him to come. Why do people come to church? The research shows it's not the lighting and the, and the smoke, the vapor, and not the van. It's because a friend invited them to come. That's why they come. Okay. Same way you do a lot of things that you do. So I'm going to get some more. There's a few back there on the top of the desk. You take, you take one or two of these, put them in your purse or your wallet, and when you have an opportunity, and start thinking about the opportunities, you, you recommend the come hear the gospel or uh, if you've got questions i'm sure you say well you know my preacher is so brilliant he could answer your question if you just give him a chance you know bring yourself to say something like that 
write your name on here and hand it to him. I think it's got my phone number on here. Well, I need to alter these. It's got the old phone number for the church building on here. I don't know I'm calling that. But I'll put my phone number on here when I redo these this week. I'll put my phone number on there for you. So the word can be taught anywhere, whether it's a fishing boat or the temple itself. The other, the other disciples later went right to the temple where people were coming to worship and they tried their best. You don't have to be pushy. You don't have to be arrogant. You don't have to be a condemnatory. Just be who you are with the people that you meet. Will, will results happen? Well, you see how well it's worked out. The lady with the blood has been here how many times? You know, zero. And most of those cards that I give out to people get thrown in the trash. I know that. And it bothers me, but not that much. Because all you need is the one person God is looking for. God's seeking everyone. He's looking for people. Will you help them find him? See, that's the question. You just need the one. Anyway, we've got to move on. Uh, sometimes what's involved in following the Lord is... When Jesus says, launch out your boats, we launch out the boats. When, when the, we have, we have to trust the Lord when he says, let down your nets. These were seasoned fishermen. They're not just somebody standing on a bridge, never caught a fish before because they're from New Jersey or something. Excuse me. Can't say New Jersey anymore, can you? Um, sorry. Sorry, sorry. From New York. Oh, wait. We got anybody from New York here? I don't know. Um, these aren't people like that. They don't have any idea what they're doing. These were experienced fishermen. And they they said to him, well, we've tried all night long. It's not like we haven't been trying to catch fish, but it was typical. We fished all night and caught nothing. Man, how many times? You ever done that, Doug? Fished all night and caught nothing? Man, you may not have. I have plenty of times. Okay, shark fishing, snook fishing, fish on ice and catch nothing. It's frustrating. Somebody comes along and says, well, just throw your nets over there. People don't do that. They give them a lecture. But it was Jesus. They listened to Jesus. This, that's why these men are remarkable. They listened to Jesus. They trusted him when he said, put out here a little bit on the water. I think if you read some of the other accounts of this event, they would say that the fish that they're looking for in that time period were not found close to shore. You know, they were found out and they had to fish a certain way at a certain time of the day to catch them. This was all wrong. It was all wrong. And yet it worked because the Lord was with them. And so, yes, people today say, yes, you do have to have the light show and the band and you do have to have all those other things. And if you don't, you'll never catch the fish. But they're wrong. They're looking for a different kind of fish. We're looking for people that want to simply trust the G Jesus Christ and do what the Bible says with that simple faith by looking for people that are trying to find, you know, therapy, although people need therapy, but we need to trust the Lord and let down our nets. When he says launch out, launch out. And so we need to be willing to take the gospel to this generation of people. That's our job. We can't say, well, people don't want to hear the word of God anymore. Well, if you did a survey in numbers, you might find that to be true, but it isn't altogether true. You see that nobody wants to hear the word of God. I think sometimes people don't even know what they want to hear. You know the old story that they asked Henry Ford about inventing uh, 
you know, the car, the Model T, producing it like that, and how he knew to do that. He said, well, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. At that time that he developed the car and made it mass-produced, he said people just wanted faster horses. But he gave them something completely different. Yes, people are looking for a quick fix, something to make them feel better, some place for their kids to play basketball, or a place that has a nice, you know, rec hall or parties or something. They look for all kinds of things. Among those people, though, are some people that truly want to find Jesus Christ. Do we have enough faith to launch out, even in this day and age, and tell the truth about that? You will encounter opposition, rejection, continually, but trust the Lord and let down your nets. You may be rejected. You people will be sometimes impolite. I've been I've been pushed downstairs for trying to teach someone the gospel. That doesn't make me a hero. It just means I was in Key West. But um, that's another whole story there. But uh, that's the only place I've ever been physically assaulted for having a Bible in my hand, trying to talk to somebody at their door. But yes, and that was in 1980-something. So it's been there a lot. The problem's been in Key West for a long time, and it's from the same people that are causing the problem now. All right, so we don't want to go there this morning. Trust the Lord and let down your nets. And then, do you believe that the Lord will bless your obedience? That's a big question that may not even be altogether about evangelism. Do you trust that he will bless your obedience? It just so many things that Jesus tells me to do just don't look like they will work. It's better to give than to receive. That's not how Wall Street operates. That's not how most people operate at all. It's better to give. Is it better to give than receive? Well, like the answer to most things, it depends. Okay. Do you trust the Lord when he says it's better to give than to receive? You should trust him. Now, people don't, but they should trust him with that. When he says, oh, I, I can't list off all the things like that. We've done it in other sermons recently. All the things about the family and the home and children, just social structures and all, all the, when Jesus says this is the way it is, do you believe him? See, people don't. They think they know better. Science, capital C, capital S, C, I, E, N, C, E, with quotes around it, doc, think Dr. Fauci has told you that nope, don't trust that, just trust the science. And the science is a consensus, you see, that you can change your gender anytime you want to. Things like that. The Lord will bless your obedience, though. If he tells you, children are an inheritance of the Lord, and happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Do you believe that? I'm thankful to say that my wife believed that when we were young. I, I did, too. That the Lord said, blessed is the man who has his quiver full of children. That they are a blessing from God. And even in our generation, way back there in the dark ages of the 1970s, we were made fun of by Christian after Christian. Not I'm talking about the world. I'm, I'm talking about people at church. Because we had five children. Don't you know what's causing this? And I said, yes, I know. And that's why I have five. Why do you only have two? You must not know what's causing it. See, I didn't give him any kind of slack on that. 
You're, you're destroying the planet. You're a selfish person. No, this is my social security. And I want to raise up a godly seed for the Lord. They didn't believe that. Christians didn't believe that. Well, do you believe what God says or not? So it, it goes down to the smallest little areas of life that you show that you trust what the Bible says as plainly as you can read it. And you're willing to understand the edges may not be so hard and fast, but you've got the basic point, you see, and you do that. Now, I don't want to use myself for a positive example there because I've done many things that don't show this kind of faith. But when these disciples just said, at your word, we will let down. We will let down our nets. At your word, never, Peter says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my nets. That's like a lot of those other phrases in there, uh, you know, in the story of, of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, Lazarus there in John 12. And Mary says to him, I think it's Martha says to him, even now, I know that you can do what you want to even though my brother's dead, even now. So it's not the big words sometimes that fascinate me in the Bible. It's those little words. Even now, I know that you can do what you say you'll do. And here, nevertheless, in spite of what I know and what I've done, what my experience shows me, if your word, if your word Jesus says, do this, I'll do that. Nevertheless, it's your word. I will let down my nets. What about you? Well, what you find when you do that the Lord will bless your obedience. May not be today, may not be in your lifetime, but the Lord will bless your obedience. I really believe we've got five children, 20 grandchildren, just starting off with the grand, great-grandchildren. Who knows how many there will be there. Somewhere in that group is one good man and one good woman who will leave a legacy for the Lord greater than Judy and I ever could somewhere in that group and maybe more than one you've heard me tell the story before about the old the preacher that went down to Texas uh, from somewhere like in Tennessee and preached all preached for two weeks in a gospel meeting traveled and preached at a church for two weeks back they used to do that back in the day and they came home they would usually have reports of all of these people being baptized and they asked the old preacher well uh, how things go he said they did they went terribly poorly he says I only baptized one one young girl in three in two weeks well the end of the story see and everybody commiserated with him how terrible uh, that that young girl grew up and had four sons who all became gospel preachers that's how the story works how many people did they save a lot more than that old preacher did you obey the Lord let him bring the fruit you pass out the cars you talk to people you live a good life. You invite your neighbors over to eat at your home and show them kindness. You take them food when they're sick. You do those things. The Lord will bring the fruit that he wants, but you need to be obedient to him. You get that the, the drugs and the intoxication out of your life. You get the fornication and the promiscuity out of your life. Let the Lord and obey him and let the Lord then bring the results. And the last thing is we see that... Um, through doing this, through encountering Jesus Christ, we can begin to see our own sinfulness for what it is. And we see our own weakness in this. Now that can become an excuse when you see your own sinfulness and weakness to not do anything. 
That's another reason why I admire Peter. Because seeing his own weakness and sinfulness didn't stop him from keeping keeping on doing what he had to do. It didn't stop him from following the Lord because he wasn't perfect. So since I'm not perfect, I'm not going to follow the Lord. He went on. He kept following. But it will, when you when you encounter Jesus Christ, truly encounter him and his word as he is in the Bible, you will see your own sinfulness. Year by, year by year that goes by, you begin to see your weaknesses more and more. It's easy when you're young to cover up your weaknesses. I think it becomes a little harder in some ways when you get older to cover them up. They're too apparent for people to see. Your life has proven itself. There's no more guessing how it's going to turn out. When you're my age, it's turned out. Okay, it's there. And some of the habits and ways of thinking that you have have become ingrained in you. And it's stubbornness. It's just been there from the beginning. The problems that Judy and I have in our marriage were there from day one. We didn't notice it from day one, but they were there. And then, and the same kind of struggles we have, if we, we don't have any struggles, do we, honey? We don't. But just it, it, theoretically, uh, it, the struggles we have are the same ones. Why is that? Well, it's because she's like she is. She's a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And through God's grace, we learn to work not against each other's sinfulness, but with that to do something better. Now, that's what happens in Christ. When you come to grips with your sinfulness, you will fall down before Jesus Christ and say, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. The Bible pictures this great great being in the book of Revelation in the beginning, the vision John sees. He's holding the stars of the heavens in his right hand. I got my left hand up because I'm left-handed, but it's on your right side, I imagine. Anyway, uh, he's holding the stars in his right hand. And John falls down. Later in the book, you see, and he tells John what to do, this same right hand reaches down and touches John, and picks him up, as it were. So the stars, Jesus Christ can hold the stars and still be concerned about you. Okay, and still care about you. And the only way that can happen is when you see your own sinfulness, because then he can redeem you. He can use that. He can help you. He can he can cleanse you and give you a free conscience. There's something the gospel has that no other philosophy, no other therapy can ever give you. And that's a clean conscience. And that's the idea of living a clean, even though you're guilty, even though you've done the things you've done, you can have a clean conscience and go back and do what's right. You can be clean. And the question is, Will you? So I put this on the end because I want to close with this. Uh, at your word, I will. Jesus himself showed us how, he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, for example. Will you? Do you believe? Will you? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you believe that? Will you come? See, that's the question. At your word, I will. This has to start early in your Christian life. You want to become a Christian, it has to start early. That when I hear the word of God, I'm going to try to obey. I may not obey perfectly, may not even understand all of it, but I'm going to obey. And so it has to start today. Thanks for listening today. We're going to sing the song that Joel has selected for you, for us. And I cannot remember it at the moment. 360. Nine. 369. Jesus the Loving Shepherd. We're going to sing this song now as we close.
We invite you to come to the front this morning and, and be baptized if you need to be baptized in the mission of your sins. We invite you to come and let us pray with you about a sin or a problem or something that's concerning you as a brother and sister in Christ. We'll pray with you. God can forgive. Will you show that concern, that faith? Come to the front right now. Let's stand and sing.